All right, everyone, we're going to go back to the Psalms. So this morning we'll look at Psalm 125. <clears throat> Psalm 125. And um, you'll notice that as we've looked at the Psalms, they all have the title up above them, the ones that we've been looking at recently. They're called Psalms of Ascent. And I wanted to start this morning by explaining what Psalms of Ascent were. And that's going to help us to dig into the psalm. So throughout the year, um, the, the Jewish people, they had festivals back in Jerusalem. right? They had um, these required festivals. There were three of them a year where everyone had to come back home. So you all had to go back to Jerusalem. And when you went back to Jerusalem, the people who were living in Jerusalem, they were already there. But for the people who were away from Jerusalem, who lived outside, they would walk up to Jerusalem. It didn't matter whether you were north or south. It's because Jerusalem is uphill. So everyone was walking uphill towards Jerusalem. And um, because they're walking uphill, these are called songs of ascent or psalms of ascent because they were ascending, going towards Zion, going towards the holy hill. And it's important to remember that as we um, think about Zion, Zion is this place that is pictured as God's eternal dwelling place. That's where he's going to live forever with his people. Zion is a picture of heaven. And so we have to see it that way. So go with me to Psalm 125. We'll read it together and you'll see Zion there and why it's so important. Psalm 125, a song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. I've got um, four short points this morning, and um, I'll tell you them now so you can follow along. The first one is faith. The second one is a promise, and, and that's a promise of eternal security. The third one is a prayer, and the fourth one is a warning. So faith is the first one, and we'll look at that together now. Now look, look at that first verse, and we're probably going to spend most of our time, I think, this morning just looking at the first verse. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Now, it occurs to me that when someone reads this passage and sees that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, you know, someone could ask this question. Why is trust so necessary in the Bible? What is this trust all about? Um, and you can use the word faith. You can use the word confidence. You can use the word hope. Those are all interchangeable with this word here, trust. Why is it so necessary that we trust? Why is it so necessary that we have hope? Why is it so necessary that we have confidence and have faith? And I want to show you, there, there are two types of people in this psalm, which every single person here and every single person who has ever lived, every single person who you know will fit into these categories. The first one, look at verse one. They're described as the people who trust in the Lord. If you look at uh, verse 2, they're described as his people. And if you look at verse 3, they're described as the righteous. 
Do you see that there? Look at verse 4. Do good to those who are good. And again, who are upright in their hearts. So there is, there is a type of person who is described as the one who trusts in the Lord. Right, we see that there. We, we see this person as a person who is a part of his people, God's people. We see this person as a person who is uh, righteous, and not only righteous, but the one who does good and who is upright in their hearts. So all of these descriptions are given about this one person. And this morning we'll call them the righteous. So there is the righteous person, and there is another person described in this text. This is a person who is, verse 3, under the scepter of wickedness. And then look at verse 5. This is really how they are described. These are the people who turn away to their crooked ways. And then at the end of verse 5, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. So there is the, there is the righteous person, and then there is the evildoer. And I ask the question, why is trust so necessary? It's because these two categories of people exist. And the difference between these two categories of people is trust. So everyone, by nature, is an evildoer. By default, that's where you are. The difference between being an evildoer and being a righteous person is by trusting. Trusting in the Lord. And it, this is so important. It's, it's, it's not about who's on Santa's naughty or nice list. It's not about who, who's better at turning up to church on Sunday or who's better at reading their Bibles or who's better at memorizing or praying in the morning. It all comes down to trust. Those who trust in the Lord. It doesn't say those who pray more than other people. It doesn't say those people who work more than other people. It says those who trust in the Lord. This is why trust is necessary. Because the difference between you, my friend, being an evildoer, which you are by nature, and righteous is trust. That's why trust is so necessary. That's why it's so important. That's why faith is so important. Now, we want to ask this question, what is the most important thing about faith? Okay, so we know it's necessary. What's the most important thing about it? Well, let's look again at that first verse. Those who trust in the Lord. Now, I, I want to say to you, and, and this needs to be very, very clear in everyone's mind. The most important thing about faith is what people call the object of faith. Now, if you're like me and you need help with English, um, what I mean when I say the object of faith is the thing that you believe in. What do you believe in? What is it that you believe in? And what you believe in is very important. It's more important than how much you believe in it. What you believe in is more important than how consistently you believe in it. And I, I wanted to give you an example, um, little illustration. So for a few years, I was an industrial rope access technician. What that means is I worked with this tool called a carabiner. So this is a carabiner. And this thing connected me to an anchor that was above me. And if this thing didn't connect me, I'm on the ground. I'm falling 30, 40, 50 meters to the ground. So this was the thing that I had to put my hope in and my trust in. The reason I trusted this is because this spe specific tool is rated to 22 kilonewtons. That's roughly about 2.2 tons. So I can put that much pressure, that much force onto this thing, and seven days out, out of seven, it's going to hold me up because it's rated. It's been tested. The other thing is um, 
it, it's been tested and rated, so I, I can actually be confident that this is going to hold me up, right? Okay, you're following me there. If I, if I had just a little bit of trust, a little bit of faith, just enough to put my weight onto it, would this thing hold me up? It, it would hold me up. What if I had heaps and heaps of confidence? Would it hold me up? It would hold me up. What's the difference between a person who has a struggling faith and a person who is thriving in their faith and their walk at the moment who is experiencing a lot of comfort and presence of God? What do they have in common? The success of their faith depends on what they believe in. It's in the object of their faith, right? It's not how strongly you believe. It's not how consistently you believe. It's not even um, how potent your belief or your faith is. Your faith and the success of you living or dying depends on the object of your faith. Let's say, instead of a carabiner, I had a paperclip. And what if I said, I, I am totally confident that this thing is going to hold me up. I'm over 100 kilos. I'm confident that if I fell a meter, this thing is still going to catch me when I fall. Will I fall? I'd fall. This would fail. Why? Is it because of my, my confidence wasn't enough? No, it wasn't because of that. I was totally confident. It's because the object of my confidence, the object of my trust, the object of my faith could not hold my weight at the end of the day. So what is important here is the object of faith. What is the most important thing about faith? It's what you believe in. Is, is everyone clear on that? Now, I want to make a statement to you. It is not accurate enough to say, now listen to this, it is not accurate enough to say that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, did you hear that? You know, that might startle some people. It is not accurate enough to say that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because the emphasis there is put on the faith, not on the object. Now, you can say that. You're, technically, you're not wrong if you did say that, but you could be more accurate. How could you be more accurate? You put the emphasis on the object. So you say, Jesus, Jesus Christ saves through faith. You see how that just little, that little difference there helps us to be more clear about what we mean when we say we have faith in Christ. It is the object of faith that is most important. So we can say, Jesus saves through faith. Jesus delivers. Jesus redeems. Jesus accomplishes all of these things. And we experience that through faith. Now, at the end of your life, if you went, if you went to God on judgment day and you said to God, here's, here's all my confidence. Um, this, is, this is my confidence. This is my offering to you to accept me. Accept my confidence. You'd be better off putting your weight on this thing and, and going off the sky tower. Because that's what you'll be doing. You're saying, the object of, of my confidence is my confidence. Do you see that? So it is, it is simple to replace Christ with your faith. It is simple to say, well, I'm so, I have so much faith in my faith in Christ. I have so much trust in my trust in Christ. I have so much confidence in my confidence in Christ. If you go before God and say, here's my confidence, here's my trust, what you're doing is you're taking your eyes off Jesus and putting it onto your personal trust and confidence and your personal merit. What you're saying to God is, reward me for my confidence. Reward me for my faith. No, that's not what we do. At the end, we say to God, if he, says, if he ever says to us, on what grounds should I accept you? We say, I'm looking to Jesus. That's what faith does. 
Faith never, ever looks to itself. Faith always looks away. Faith always looks away to the object of faith. And the object of the Christian faith is Jesus Christ. And it can only be Jesus Christ. It can only be him. It can't be anything else. If it's anything else, not only can it not take your weight, the weight of your sin, but everything that we have trust in expires. Take, for example, even this carabiner. It has, a, it has a rating of 22K in. What if I put 33K in on it? It's going to fail. Not only that, but I can put 22K in on this every day of the week for 10 years. After 10 years, this has to go on the rubbish because it has an ex expiration date. It expires. It will run out. If we ever go to God and present anything but Jesus, what we're giving him is something that not, not only can't take our weight, but we're giving him that some, something that will never last. Now, what do you do when you take Jesus? What do you do when the object of your faith is Jesus? Look again at this. Psalm 125. Look again at that first verse. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Here's the thing. If you trust in Jesus for your sin, because there are evildoers and there are righteous, and the difference between them is that they are forgiven because of Jesus. All right? If you put your trust in Jesus, it says here, you cannot be moved. It will take the full weight of your sin. Every single thought, every single word, every single deed, everything you have ever done, all of your sin, which I can guarantee you is more than 22KN, all of your sin, Jesus can take the weight. Not only that, he's not going to struggle after an hour. He's not going to give up after a day and say, look, I can hold it for about 24 hours, 25 hours, but after that, you're on your own. No, it says here, that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Friend, if you put your trust in Jesus, he will take the full weight of your sin and he will take it forever. Not a second shy of eternity. Every single sin that you have ever committed, he can take the full weight. Every single sin you have ever committed, he will take the full weight forever. Not a single second will pass in eternity where he is not faithfully upholding his deal. If he, say, he says, if you trust in the Lord, you're like Mount Zion. You won't be moved. You will abide forever. And so I hope you see there that we need to be very clear when we think about faith. Because there is a temptation to, to think, like I've been and told in the past, the reason you're not healed is because you don't have enough faith. Well, my, my success all depends on my confidence then. It doesn't depend on what I believe in. It depends on how confident I am in it, which we've seen is false. The object of faith is most important. The object of faith is where we find success. The object of faith is where we find liberation and vindication and everything that we need. And so I hope if you're here struggling this morning, if you're here with a faith that is like that songwriter says, like a candle in the wind. And if you're here and you're struggling with your faith at the moment, remember this. The success of your faith is not how much you can hold up in the wind. The success of your faith is what you believe in. It's who you believe in. It's the object of faith that matters most. That's why the emphasis here in this psalm, in this first verse, is to trust in the Lord. The emphasis is not so much on the trust. The emphasis is always on the one in whom you trust. So ask yourself this morning, where is my trust? I don't want, I don't want you to tell me if you're struggling or not or, or how hard it is or how dwindling or how inconsistent your faith is. 
I want you to tell me this morning, where is your faith? What have you put your trust in? What have you put your hope in? What have you put your confidence in? Where is the weight of your sin going to sit when you stand before God? Are you going to say, God, here is my good works. Here is my church attendance. Here is my prayer life. Or will you say, here is Jesus? There is only one object of faith that will stand the weight of your sin and that will stand the test of time. And I hope you see with me that it is in the Lord, in Jesus Christ. And now this picture of Zion is so important, like we were saying at the beginning. The picture of Zion is this picture of eternal unity with God, eternal, the eternal presence of God without any sin, any interruption of sin. And in Hebrews 12, it really clarifies for us why this is, why this is the point, why it is so that Zion is this picture. And Hebrews 12, 24 says, because it's there that Jesus Christ mediates with, with, the, with the new covenant, his own blood. And it says there that his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What that's saying to us is Mount Zion is where Jesus mediates for sinners. Mount Zion, Mount Zion is where the blood of Jesus says this person can be forgiven because my blood is upon them. So ask yourself, where is my trust? What do I believe in? I'm not asking you how consistent you are. I'm not asking you how strong your faith is. I'm asking you where it is. Where is your faith? If you stood before God today, what are you going to present to him? Now it goes on from this first verse into the second verse. And um, I, I told you about this promise. So that was the first point was faith. And the second point that I want to talk about is this promise of eternal security. Verse two, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. The scepter for the scepter of the wicked of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. So in this wonderful promise, God says, not only will you be like Mount Zion if you trust in him, but you will be surrounded by mountains. He will surround you and protect you. And this is an eternal promise. This is for eternal security. And what's important here is we must realize that because God is not promising temporal security. And what I mean when I say temporal is uh, I just mean here and now. He's not promising security for right here, right now. Well, how can I say that? Well, look at the disciples, for example. Only one of them grew to old age. The rest of them were killed. Look at the early church. There were many people suffering, dispersed. All you got to do is look at the book of James and you see a whole bunch of communities just dispersed. There were fires in, in, in Jerusalem. They had to flee and go find somewhere to live. And we experience it now. It's not saying if you trust in the Lord, you'll never have COVID. It's not saying if you trust in the Lord, you won't die young. It's not saying if you trust in the Lord, you won't have struggles in this life. What it's saying is something greater. Take your eyes off of what, what, what we experience here and look to eternity. This eternal security that God is talking about will last forever. This temporary struggle does not compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. That's Romans 8. So there is this eternal security that is promised. And what I found interesting is if you look to the next verse, so that's uh, <clears throat> verse 2 and 3, but look at verse 4. Here's a prayer. So there is that promise of eternal security. And then in verse 4, here is a prayer. 
Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. What's interesting is what they're praying for is what has already been promised. Do you see that? So God has already, already promised this in verse 1, 2, and 3. The good person is not a person who is good. It's a person who has faith in Christ, who trusts in him. And he's saying, do good to those who are good. But the Lord has already said, I'm going to do good by them by making them as solid as Mount Zion and protecting them forever. They'll be with me forever for eternity. And so the psalmist here is praying for something that has already been promised. And we might first look at that and say, well, that's an unnecessary prayer. Why would he pray for something that's already been promised? Friends, there is nothing else better to pray for than what God has already promised. You can know that what you pray for when God promises it will be answered. What you pray for if God promises will come, will come to fruition. It will happen. It will come true. And if we pray along with the psalmist, do good to those who do good. God will answer our prayer surely. I have no doubt he will answer our prayer. We, we pray for those things that God has promised. It's a part of his design. He has promised these things and he helps us in our faith by inviting us to pray for these things. So friends, pray. Pray for these things. Pray for this psalm. Pray for what this psalm promises. Pray for what Jesus Christ has promised, that he will come to judge the living and the dead. Pray for what he, he gives us as assurance and promises. You can't go wrong if that is your prayer life. You'll, you'll never pray an empty prayer or avoid prayer if you pray for what God promises. So pray for what God has promised. He's given us the material for our prayer life. So let's pray for it. And so that is the, that is the promise in the prayer. And that leads us down to the warning in verse 5. Look with me at verse 5. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Now at the start, I said there were two types of categories for people there were the righteous and there were the evildoers inside of that category the evildoers there are subcategories even the evildoers are broken up into different categories into different groups and we see two types here look with me it says there at the second part of that verse <clears throat> sorry verse five right at the start but those who turn aside to their crooked ways the lord will lead away with evildoers so there are these evildoers and then there are those who turn aside to their crooked ways that God will lead away with these evildoers. So there are evildoers who have never come to Christ, who have never perhaps heard the gospel or who have never, um, never experienced some of the, the gifts that the church has. What I want you to focus on this morning, because we've all come to church and because perhaps all of us go to church regularly, is that first person. There is the first person, the one who turns aside. And the one who is an evildoer. They're both evildoers, but there is one who turns aside. This one who turns aside to their crooked ways, this is one who has heard the gospel. This is one who has been exposed to the word, perhaps even joined in with the church, as Hebrews says, but then has turned away. Now, this is the reason I want to focus on this is because perhaps that may, God forbid, be, be someone here or someone we know. Wasn't it the Jews who were exposed to the Bible the most that crucified Christ? Wasn't it Judas, who was a part of the 12, even sent out on a mission, who betrayed Jesus in the end? So that's why I say with seriousness, search yourself, friend, to see whether you are in the faith. 
search yourself to see what it is that you have really put your trust in. Because the difference between an evildoer and a righteous person is that one puts their trust, their trust in Christ. The one who turns aside can only be the one who has been inside, who has been exposed to the gospel, who has heard, heard the, the precious words of Christ and his, his salvation. The one who turns aside can only be someone who has been inside. So suit yourself this morning to see whether you are in the faith. This warning is a very serious warning. If you are this person, you will be led away with evildoers. And just as the, the faithful, just as the one who trusts in Christ will be with him forever, you will be away forever. So think seriously about that. And this psalm finishes with this sort of wonderful benediction type of ending. Look at the end. Peace be upon Israel. What a wonderful thing to say. Peace be upon Israel. This peace can only be put on the people who trust. This peace can only be spoken of about the people who trust in him. Otherwise, if you are this person who turns aside or if you're a part of this evildoer who does not trust in the Lord, you will have no peace. There will be no peace, not forever. There will, be never, there, there will never be peace. But for those who trust in the Lord, for those who are, are sure that the object of their faith is Christ, peace be upon you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful book of Psalms. Thank you for this 125th Psalm. And thank you for their wonderful start. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Oh Lord, help us to trust in the Lord. Lord, give us that wonderful gift of faith and help us to have faith. We know that we are the ones that are supposed to have faith. It is not you who believes on our behalf, but it is you who gives us that great gift. So Lord, we come asking for that great gift of faith. Give it to us. Give it to those who do not yet have it so that they might place their trust in Christ and look away from themselves and look to him. The only one who can take the full weight of their sin. The only one who can take the full weight of their sin forever. Oh Lord, let our trust be upon him. And Lord, those evildoers who are turning away from you, perhaps even attending every single week, yet turning away in their hearts. Oh Lord, we pray that you would make them righteous in their hearts through faith in Christ that Christ would save them through faith so that they might love him and know him forever and dwell in his presence, surrounded and secure for eternity. Lord, be pleased to do all these things for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.